Hi, I'm Dee Hicks, and welcome to the School of Leadership, leveraged lessons from high-impact leaders. For the past 30 years, I've researched the disciplines, habits, mental models, and assumptions of the most effective leaders. This podcast takes what I've learned from over 2,000 of these influencers and distills it into practical tools and tips you can use immediately. So let's get started. So I'd like to talk with you today a little bit about some stuff we've learned over the years about venting. We've worked in many high-pressured situations, uh, high-performance organizations and intense organizations, high-impact organizations even, and studied them closely. And it seems that we find often that folks uh, like to vent, and they think venting is a pretty valuable thing. So we thought, well, does is venting really valuable? Is it okay? Should we have an opportunity to vent? Because folks say that, uh, I just need to vent. I just really need to, If I don't vent, then the implication is my mind is going to explode, <laughs> you know, or something like that. So let's talk a little bit today about the unintended consequences of venting. Through our research, we've learned a few things. Venting, as we've learned, is a form of emotional rehearsal, wherein we reinforce the beliefs that are behind the venting. Whatever it is I think is true, that frustrates me. And then I go to you and vent about it. I'm simply rehearsing it. I'm not solving any problems. I'm not thinking differently. I'm thinking more of what I thought before. While the venter may feel better for a moment, all he's really done is etch the thought more deeply into his mental model to invest his energy, perhaps even his reputation in the theme, and then make it more difficult to change his mind later. Have you ever vented about someone only to encounter her a few minutes or hours later? Did you notice when you did that what your thoughts were? It's like, I don't know, it's like waking up in the middle of a bad dream and finding it difficult to shake the effects of the dream. Meeting that person face-to-face triggers these rehearsed thoughts, these feelings and frustrations that are barely contained behind a pseudo-civil expression. The human brain is remarkable, I think, on many levels. Not the least of which is its ability to perceive and to categorize and organize all manner of experiences, both imagined and real, into these tight little groupings or categories. The instant the brain perceives an object, for example, it searches for a category into which to place that object. You look around your room or look around your car if you're driving or look out on the street and the moment you perceive something, your brain will put it into a category, a person walking by, homeless, or a that person walking by, a professional, or some category you put him or her in. Then once that category is identified, the mind labels that perceived object, then prejudges it based upon the labels or stereotypes in that category, then acts or doesn't act based upon that prejudgment. The action may be simple or it may be complex. The action creates a reinforced perception of the object. This is a pretty important thing. 
Our brain has done this hundreds of times already today. Even if you've only been awake for an hour, already hundreds of times your brain has done this. You've looked around the room and spotted something and put it into a category and then believed a bunch of things to be true about it before you even experienced it. Perhaps you entered a room, maybe you smelled something, maybe you categorized that as coffee, stereotyped it by thinking all coffee made in this specific location is strong and rich. Then you thought this specific cup of coffee that Brent offered me will be strong and rich. Then you put sugar and cream in the cup before you ever tasted it. This is your brain at work. And it all happened in a flash, in one one thousandth of the time that it's taken for me to describe this. So we create categories for everything, instantly put everything we experience into a known category in our mind. Think of the last time that you perceived or experienced, I don't know, something that was utterly new and in a category by itself. If you have experienced that, it's likely you described it to yourself and to others using comparative terms. This is like that. The more like something and an experience or, or an object, for example, is, the more our mind will stereotype it. This shoe is like that shoe. This person is like those people. This music is like that music. This company is like that company. This product is like that product. This politician is like those politicians. You get my point. It's neurologically comforting to the human brain to put things into categories. The brain doesn't concern itself at this level with right or wrong, but rather with close enough, and then it functions really quite well, or well enough. If you're sitting, for example, in a chair as you listen to this podcast, it's likely that at some point that specific chair was new to you. You'd never sat in that chair before. Because of this amazing categorizing power of the human brain, you were able to glance at that chair, put it into a category, chair, stereotype about all chairs in the category, prejudge that specific chair as having all of the characteristics of those in the category, and then sit down in the chair. The act of sitting in the chair reinforced your category of that kind of chair. And all of this occurred below your conscious awareness, and it happened in a flash. Just seconds ago, I glanced over here past this podcast recording equipment, saw a transparent, tall, cylindrical, plastic bottle with a blue, ca a blue cap on it. And the label is Aquafina. And in a flash, I reached over to this brand new bottle that I have never personally touched before. And I picked it up. Here it is. And I opened the lid on this brand new bottle and took a drink of water without even thinking about it, really, because I glanced over, perceived it, categorized it, stereotyped what it was, prejudged what it was, and then acted based upon that prejudgment. This is water, took a drink, and was refreshed. All of this happened in a flash without any concentration. This is a beautiful thing that the human brain does. As a senior in high school, I worked for some time as a waiter in a really high-end seafood restaurant. It was called Pier 51. It's kind of a cool place. I liked it a lot. This was the kind of restaurant where there was soft music and muted colors and warm lighting and white linen tablecloths. And all of us who waited 
on the stat on the uh, customers wore vests and white shirts and dark shoes and dark pants and our hair was just right and it was one of those nice places the customers were generally well dressed and i i kind of suspect many of them were what we like to call uh, recreational alcoholics <laughs> i loved this job when i was a senior in high school partly because of the team that i work with they were really fun and partly because of the at the time shockingly high tips that i got but mostly because i learned how to mess with customers this messing with customers was not really supported by management for the record since that uh that really early job <laughs> i learned to pe- put people i guess into two different categories mess withable categories and not mess withable you know the former is a lot more fun if someone I meet even now has a really quick and ready sense of humor, they're full of curiosity rather than full of themselves, and their face is wrinkled from years of laughter, they're probably mess withable. <laughs> you think about it that way. Anyway, back to the restaurant. So here I am on a Friday evening, very near the end of my tenure at the restaurant, getting ready to go off and do other things and go to go to college. On this Friday evening, a party of About 10 people was seated in my section for some sort of a celebration uh, of the achievements of one of the members of that group, as near as I can recall. The party clearly had begun really well before the group was seated, and, and then it continued through several rounds of drinks. You get my drift. Near the end of the very long evening, the uh, honoree of the party, who had, by the way, inexplicably named me Butch, asked if I would Kindly bring him a cup of coffee. Well, I agreed, and I returned with a cup. No coffee, just a cup and a saucer. Approaching the table slowly, gaining his attention, I said, Be careful, this is really hot, and pretended to trip and pour the empty cup of coffee in his lap. He screamed in pain, he cursed, he jumped up from the table, snatched a napkin, and furiously wiped the invisible coffee from his pseudo-scalded lap for a few seconds. (laughs) And in the noise, the restaurant went silent. Let's call him Stan. This screaming Stan stared at his lap, then stared at me, then at the table, then at the empty cup in my hand, and then back at his lap in a second. And a moment later, the table realized the extent of the prank, and then they just exploded in laughter. So with the uh, assistance of what I guess was copious amounts of scotch, we can peer into Stan's slowed brain and see the process unfold. Perception of an approaching waiter bringing a cup. Cups hold coffee. Coffee is hot. The coffee is in my lap. Hot coffee burns. I'm being scalded. The anticipation of pain. Muscles recoil. Chairs tip over. Wipe the invisible coffee. The waiter is an idiot. All of this in a flash. This is precisely how the mind works. It perceives and processes everything in exactly this manner. It does it all the time, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Remember, the cup that I spilled air quotes, spilled on Stan was empty. There was nothing in it. 
So one of the unintended consequences of this amazing mental power we have got arises when we misperceive, just like Stan did, and miscategorize. When we add emotion to the misperception and the faulty categorization, our brain can reinforce this falsehood. Conspiracy thinking is an example of this kind of process. When someone thinks Vice President Dick Cheney was a mastermind on the level of Dr. Evil, well, then their mind will search for evidence to reinforce that category. And in a short while, voila, conspiracy. We have a fabulous ability to ignore contradicting perceptions that don't fit our current categories. We can play a tune long enough in our mind that it becomes reality. Venting is just like that. Venting is rehearsal of the very worst kind. Listen to Victor the Venter. This is precisely what he's doing. He thinks he's been injured in some way or is about to be hurt or merely inconvenienced in some way. His brain searches for other inputs, other data points, if you will, that confirm that he's going to be offended and finds them. Venting is a form of communication that accelerates this process. It is, again, a rehearsal of my thought process of the worst kind. It's also unsatisfying to sit back and then be the listener to the venter. The human brain is acutely attuned to notice threats and to perceive threats. We listen for threats and we lock onto them with intense focus. When listening to venters, our brain tips into what I like to call a fear mode, and our body releases a few complex neurotransmitters, neurohormones, that prepare us for a fight or for a flight, or they cause us to lock up. We call that freeze. When we pay attention to an impassioned vent, we join even if, I don't know, only slightly into the drama as though it's happened or it will happen to us. Cortisol courses through our veins as if we were the ones attacked or offended. And really all we're doing is listening. We have in our, in, in our minds about 400,000, maybe 500,000 really special neurons called mirroring neurons. And they set up a cascade of mental and physical activity resulting in our own imagined and personalized slight. Venting hurts the listener. When you listen to someone who vents, your brain reinvents what they're talking about and feels it, albeit at a smaller level, feels it the same way that person is feeling it. An example of this is in is any kind of sport. If you're interested in a sport and imagine yourself good at that sport, you're an athlete. For example, you think of yourself as a good pitcher or you want to become a good pitcher. When you sit and watch a pitcher that you're really interested in and watch him set up and prepare for the pitch and set back and balance and wind up and release, your body is even sending out all sorts of really micro signals to your muscles that imitate what that pitcher is doing, that imitate his stance as much as you can perceive it, even though you're sitting still. This is why if you watch <clears throat> a sport that you're really, really interested in and a team that you like a lot, you will feel energetic at the end of watching it. It's because the mirror neurons in your brain are causing you to duplicate that behavior. These mirror neurons are really fascinating for us. They help us 
us to connect with other people. They help us to kind of be accepted into the tribe because we mirror behaviors on very subtle, almost imperceptible, yet barely perceptible levels. These mirror neurons are pretty amazing things in our brain, helping us with other human beings to reflect back to them what they're doing, to mirror what they're doing and send out signals that we are part of the tribe. <clears throat> it's a really cool thing. This, by the way, also explains why if you're coming up in the left-hand lane to pass someone who's in the right-hand lane of a four-lane freeway, and as you approach them on the left side, they're in the right lane, and when you come up to them to pass, they speed up a little bit, probably most of the time it's not because they're being a total jerk. Most of the time they speed up because of these mirror neurons. They, are, they see you, you are going at certain speed, they mirror your speed. Pretty impressive. So next time you go by somebody and pass them on the left, they're on the right, they speed up a little bit, you're probably not being a jerk. They're probably unconsciously mirroring your speed because as soon as you get ahead, get beside them and slightly ahead of them, they will slow down, right? It's mirror neurons. This is what happens when someone comes to you and vents. They talk negatively about a situation or another person. Your, your mirror neurons engage and you start to feel some of the same things that they feel and do some of the same things that they do. It's likely that this kind of behavior actually doesn't benefit you. So most of us, when someone comes to us to vent, are not rude. You might be in the rude category, but most of us are not rude when someone comes to us to vent. Cutting a venter off in mid-sentence seems a little bit uncivil. We don't want to unnecessarily offend so we listen while they vent. Even as the venter rewinds and replays the vent, this time with more intensity and maybe with added detail, we find it difficult to put up a hand and redirect. And it's likely that the venter has selected us precisely because we indulge in his habit of venting by listening, by being his audience. Let me suggest something. As soon as you figure out that Victor is coming to you to vent, Interrupt him and say, may I interrupt? And then ask, have you spoken directly with him or her about this frustration? And, okay, is this about you or is this about someone else? Ask those questions. Then follow up with, all right, what are you going to do about it? This will take the pressure off of the situation. If the response is frustration followed by a rewind and a replay reaction, interrupt again. Say something like, okay, this is only helpful if you are going to do something about it. Otherwise, it's not good for you and it's not good for me. Keep challenging this vector, the venter, with his responsibility by asking what he's going to do about it. Close the conversation and say, all right, when are you going to do that? Even as I describe that, it might feel odd to you. While this is a bit awkward at first, it will actually yield much better results than those that you will achieve by passively listening and, and nodding during this venting diatribe. So I'd like to suggest to you that venting is utterly destructive. It's a relic. It's never healthy. It's never productive. In fact, it's much better to go to the source of your frustration and address it directly. It takes a little courage, but it's always better than venting. Oh, by the way, back to the restaurant. That party gave me the largest tip I had ever received, amounting to nearly 50% of their total bill. I was completely stunned. I don't know. 
if uh, <clears throat> if Stan, the guy I spilled the fake air coffee cup on, even contributed at all to that. He didn't speak to me the rest of the evening. <laughs> I never saw him again. My manager forcefully suggested that I behave in a more professional manner. <laughs> uh, I've not taken his advice. In fact, I have a long list of advice not taken and the result of of that advice not taken usually being delightful outcomes. Most of the time I've not taken other people's advice. It has enriched me immeasurably. I'll share that in another podcast at some point, perhaps in an upcoming book. In fact, the title of that upcoming book, probably six months out from this podcast, is None Taken. Uh, What to do with advice. How to take it, how to not take it. So just some thoughts on venting. Venting is never productive. It's never helpful. If you're frustrated, make it about yourself and not about other people and make sure you turn it into action as quickly as possible. Otherwise, you're simply rehearsing that little negative drama in your brain about other people and situations. You know, it's just not very helpful. So, hey, there's a thought for the day. 20 minutes. Hope you had a great day. Looking forward to chatting with you again. Take care. Thanks for joining me in today's School of Leadership. This podcast is part of the Archimedes Experiment, leveraged wisdom from the world's most effective leaders. If you're interested in more, go to my website, dhicks.com. Remember, my first name has only one E. Well, you'll find more short and helpful podcast books and blog posts. If this was helpful, maybe even share it with some of your friends. Have a great day.